For the rest of us, if we could open up our Bibles again to this text in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 to 20. It's on page 800 if you're using the Bibles in your seats. Welcome to week two of our sermon series entitled Transformation Workshop. And if we could put that first slide up there, I gave Tony some notes to follow along with the... Right there, yeah. Um, so uh, we're spending eight weeks this winter, two weeks on each of these topics, That for those of you who can see the slide there. Um, as we go into the, the tail end of winter and the season of Lent on the church calendar, which begins on Wednesday, we're focusing on the importance of transformation, which is a key to our church's vision, right? That we would be transformed by God for love and for mission in a changing world. And so the question we've been asking is, how do we get transformed? How does it actually happen? And that's what we're, we're focusing on in this series. And last week we began focusing on the fact that transformation begins with our identity. It begins with knowing who we really are. Because knowing who we are determines and influences how we live our lives. If a child grows up, let's say, in an abusive home, and they're told repeatedly that they're good for nothing, that they're just trash, that they're worthless, that they always mess up everything, how are they going to grow up? They're either going to believe it, and they're going to live that way, or they're going to spend their life fighting it and trying to prove that um, prove wrong those who told them this. And either way, their identity, what they've been told about who they are, is going to shape and determine their lives unless they get a new identity, unless they're told that that's not really who they are. Our identity shapes who we become. And so if we're going to be transformed, if um, that transformation is going to have to begin with us figuring out who we really are. And last week we began to see in Romans 8 something of who we are and something of who we're not. So we are not slaves, right? We just sang about it earlier. We are not slaves to the flesh. We're not slaves to all, every desire and urge that we have. We're children of God. We've been adopted into God's royal family. We're God's own beloved sons and daughters. We're destined to inherit our Father's kingdom, which is the whole creation. And so it just makes sense that we start to live that way now, to live as if we're God's sons and daughters. Many of you are probably familiar with this little triangle. Some of you maybe not. The three points are uh, Father, identity, and obedience. And there are two ways that we can go around this triangle, a right way and a wrong way. We start with the top, with the Father, either way, but... The way most of us most naturally um, think we should go around the triangle is counterclockwise. That beginning with God the Father, we figure, well, we've got to please our Father in heaven. We've got to do a good job obeying. We've, so we better shape up. We better act well so God will like us so that we'll be accepted by him. And, and so we respond and we relate to God our Father with efforts to be obedient. To do what God requires. And, and so we, we try to do that. And, and what happens as, as we try to be obedient? Well, sometimes we feel like we're doing well. And other times not so well. 
And um, if we're not doing well, if, if we feel like we're failing, that we're sinning, that we're displeasing God, that we're being disobedient, how do we feel about ourselves? Well, usually we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. Our, our identity at that moment is bad child, bad Christian. Like there's a gray cloud of, of condemnation over our heads. Like we, we can't be close to God right now. We can't look into God's face. He would be frowning. He would be disappointed with us because we've been bad. And, and so we don't deserve God's blessing or God's love right now. And so we go off into a corner somewhere, figuratively speaking, and we hide from God and we grovel in penance. We beat ourselves up for a while until we feel we've been good and good and sorry enough that God will probably take us back now. And so then we tentatively come back to God and we try again to be good and we try again to obey. So... Um, if we're doing poorly, that's often how we feel and how we relate to God. On the other hand, maybe we're doing well at obeying. We, we feel good about how we're doing. I had this experience in college. In college, I was passionate um, for God. I was growing in my faith like crazy. I was spending lots of time with God. I wanted to make time to pray, to read my Bible. I was serving God. I was helping others to get to know God. And before I knew it, guess what I was doing to the people around me who weren't as obedient as I was? I was looking at them thinking, what's their problem? You know, why aren't they as passionate as I am? Why aren't they as obedient as I am? And in my pride, I started to look down on them. I started to judge them. My identity was super Christian. I was a good child. I'm, I was better than others. Until... I left college and I went into a very different spiritual environment where I didn't have good spiritual nourishment. I didn't have good fellowship. I didn't have people to encourage me and disciple me in my faith. And suddenly I realized I was losing my passion for God. I wasn't so excited about obeying God like those people I had looked down on before. And this was humbling for me. And I realized Maybe I'm not so holy and spiritually awesome after all. Maybe I was just blessed for a while to be in a particularly rich spiritual environment. And that's why I grew spiritually. And, and now I'm not growing so much. So again, this is how we, we tend to go around the triangle. We, we tend to try to obey God. And then based on how we're doing, we take our identity from that. If we're doing well, we think we're a good Christian. If we're not doing so well, we feel like we're not so good. But either way, this is basing our identity on our performance. Well, guess what? This is not what God wants for us. It's not how God wants to relate to us. In fact, this is actually what Paul says Jesus came to set us free from. Going around the triangle backwards this way. It's actually the flesh way of relating to God, which is slavery. Where, where we, we try hard by our own efforts to keep God's law, to avoid sin, and then we judge ourselves based on how well we're doing. And this is exactly what Christ came to set us free from. Which is why Romans 8 begins, if you go back up to verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news in Romans 8 
is that the way God sees things, the way God treats us, involves going around the triangle the other direction. It begins with God giving us our identity. And that identity isn't earned, it's a gift. Remember, we we saw last week in Romans 8, verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We've been adopted as God's children, not because we've behaved so well, but before we behaved at all. Our new identity is a gift. I've shared before the the heart-wrenching story of baby Richard. You may remember the story from a number of years ago. Um, This young boy was a four-year-old at the time that as the result of a court case, he was removed from the home of his adopted parents and uh, which were the only parents that he that he knew and he loved and he was turned over to his biological father and he was understandably distraught it it, it captured the, the the emotions and the heart of of America at the time and and as this young boy was being told that he had to leave his family and and go to live with this other man what he said was totally heartbreaking he said I'll be good. Don't make me leave. I'll be good. And and we can just feel the, the pain in his heart. And, and what we realize is that it's not about him being good at all, is it? The, the battle that was fought in court for, for who he belonged to had nothing to do with his behavior. And whatever you think of the court decision, what was at issue and what all the adults understood was that what mattered in deciding this case was not this little boy's behavior, but who loved him and who he belonged to. And that's always what matters most. And Romans tells us that in our case, both of those are pointing in the same direction. That we have a father who loves us. And that we now belong to that father. Legally and permanently. And God isn't going to let us be taken away. Whether we've been good enough or not. If our faith is in Jesus Christ. Watchman Nee, a, a, a Chinese Christian leader from the earliest part, earlier part of the 20th century. He was once counseling a a new Christian who came to him in deep distress. And and the young believer said, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I I, I simply can't seem to be faithful to my Lord. I I think I'm losing my salvation. And and he replied, do you see this dog here? This is my dog. He's house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. I love my dog. Over in the kitchen, over there, is my baby boy. He makes a mess. (laughs) He throws his food around. He gets his clothes dirty. He's a total mess. But guess which of the two is going to inherit my estate? (laughs) Not my dog. (laughs) It's my son who is my heir. And you are Jesus Christ's heir. Because it's for you that he's died if you've put your faith in him.
Our identity as, as sons and daughters of God is a gift. It's given to us through Jesus' death for us on the cross. We don't earn it. We, we receive it as an undeserved gift. We receive it when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we then obey. We live out of who we are. We live out of our identity, not so that we can earn our identity. So, question, am I the only one who falls back into going around the triangle backwards? (laughs) I think it's a natural human tendency to think that we have to earn what we enjoy. Or or maybe even we want to earn it somehow so we can be proud of it. But, but doing it in our own strength, through our own effort, will never get us all the way there to transformation. It, it, it may change some of our outside behaviors, but doing it in our own strength will never transform us from the inside, from our heart. So at this point, I'm going to press pause. We have a second story to share with you this morning. John Gove has a great story about his own journey, uh, learning to go around the triangle the right direction and the changes that it's made in his life. And I'd like him to come and tell it now. Hi, I'm John. And, uh, usually when I tell my story, I say I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. And um, uh, Dick asked me to share under five minutes. I said, if I go 10, he goes, that's okay. I go, if I go 15, he goes, I'll be sweating. And so... <laughs> If I share under five minutes and I touch, move, and inspire uh, somebody, will God love me more? Who's shaking their head? Okay. I was listening. Um, So real quick, uh, I didn't know God growing up. um, Heard of him. Tried to understand him intellectually. Uh, Something was missing. Um. I was insecure, uh, lacked confidence, restless, irritable, discontent, um, acted out in grammar school, got high in high school, drank in the Marine Corps, lied, cheated, and gambled in my marriage, and tried to be the best student, Marine, husband, father that I could be. Um, when I left the marriage, the alcoholism took off. Um, I had my kids over on the weekends until it was more important to get high and drunk. Um, they say when I got to AA that uh, all fathers love their children. They just choose to drink over their children. Um, grew up, uh, my family's uh, generation after generation alcoholic. Uh, and when I got to AA, it looked like that was continuing. I was told when I got to AA, the only way to get sober was to find God. So I started going to church. Um, found my way here. Found my way into Bible studies. Was leading Bible studies. And I couldn't stay sober. And um, I learned everything in the Bible. I learned everything in the Alcoholics Big Book the steps, um, knew everything, couldn't get sober. I heard what they were saying, didn't really listen. 
first three steps uh, can be summed up as I can't, he can, let him. Um, but I was stuck with trying to square peg a round hole of God into me. Um, they said there's a softer, easier way. I was looking for the harder, smarter way. Um, I was more concerned with saving my face than saving myself. I thought I could save myself. But the first step says you can't. And um, when I came in, they uh, asked me if I was powerless, if my life was unmanageable. I said, look at my car. It was a mess. Uh, I went out for a while. I came back in. They asked me the same question. I go, look, I don't even have a car anymore. And I thought that was powerlessness. Um, over 80 times I uh, relapsed, continued going to AA, continued trying to do the best. Uh, some things were getting better. The drinking slowed down, but it didn't go away. I got some sobriety. Uh, I was sober a year. I mentored a guy. We call that sponsoring. Um, he was atheist. Uh, he agreed to uh, sit down with me a couple hours a week, and he agreed to allow me to pray. God helped us set aside everything we think we know about each other, about alcoholism, and about you, God, so maybe we have a better chance of hearing what you're trying to tell us in this hour. After a few months, he became a believer. After six months, his wife on Thanksgiving Day text messaged me, thanking me for their family, for their family's life. And, you know, intellectually, I knew, you know, it's God, it's not me. And I texted that back to her. But in my heart, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and um, a lot of arrogance in there that never got washed out. I considered myself born again. But secretly, I didn't really believe God loved me unless I did good. And I would do good. Good, good, good. But I wasn't perfect, and I make a mistake, and it felt like the house of cards falling in on me. A month after that, on Christmas Eve, I relapsed and uh, came right back to A. Got honest, thought I could get back on the horse, and relapsed rapidly, twenty times in five months. Half the time because I wanted to, half the time I don't know. Tried figuring it out. Some guy said, uh, you thinking you had some sort of play in your relapse insinuates you think you got power over this disease. Have you ever read the first step, being powerless and unmanageable? And I was stunned. The simplest thing in AA, the smartest guy here, didn't get the simplest thing. I had one more relapse, and the guy in the mirror said, you can't get sober with or without the help of AA. And I could play the tape forward real fast, and I knew I was going to die, lose the job, lose the apartment, be homeless, can't steal, can't run, die. All I cared about was keeping my job, damage control, and on my way to White Plains, my car pulled into an AA parking lot. I didn't know why. I was asking the car. That's how crazy I was at this time. Talking to a car. My feet got out, started walking to me, and I'm talking to my feet. And I was scared, and it was dark. And I didn't have the courage to say anything. Somebody else uh, relapsed the same night she shared about that. They, that gave me the courage to come back. I came back the next day and the next day and the next day, and it was still really dark, and I knew I was going to die. And... Um, I didn't have any faith in my living. I didn't have any faith in me. It, pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. I thought it was the worst day of my life. Actually, that was the gift I was waiting for. And uh, when I had to say my sobriety date in front of people, and I've done that before, and I would be full of crap when I did that. You know, I'd say, it's going to be different this time. Or, oh, gee, I'd let you guys down. But this time I was shocked that when I said my sobriety date, which was only four days ago then, 
something weird happened on my face. I thought maybe I was having a stroke. Somebody accused me of smiling for the first time in an AA meeting. And I felt like grace that I'd never known before. I felt like I was a glass of water and the water was just filling up. I knew I was okay, not if and when I did the work, but I was okay right then. I felt love for the first time. All my relationships were gone by this time because I'm unable to love. But now for the first time I felt like I was loved and in the same moment I loved myself and in the same moment I was able to love somebody else and I know I was because there was a guy that sat in our circle who I never liked. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, eh, he's all right. <laughs> he ain't perfect and neither am I. And when I told this story to Dick the first time, he showed me the circle and the triangle, which coincidentally AA has the triangle inside of a circle. And he told me I was going the wrong way and it made so much sense to me. All I had to do was get out of the way, and he arrived. Thank you. Thanks, John. The good news of experiencing God's grace, the difference that that makes in our lives. So just to recap um, what we saw last week in Romans 8 about our identity. Paul says in verse 12 of our passage, Romans 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. In verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer slaves to the flesh. We're no longer slaves to the flesh. We're, we're free. Christ has come into our life. He's fundamentally changed who we are. And, and we're now free to do what's right. In fact, we're more than free from, from slavery to the flesh. Verse 15, the spirit we received brought about our adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We're adopted children of God. We're royal children. We're set to inherit the whole creation. And so if that's our identity, then it makes no sense to still live like a slave. We get to live instead like we're royal sons and daughters. And that identity is what fuels our transformation, that new identity. And it reminds me of a part um, of the Lion King where they sing Hakuna Matata. You remember that part? Lion King goes back a long way, but they just redid it recently. Simba is a young lion prince with all the honor and the responsibility that that entails to protect and to govern the pride lands where all the animals live. But but Simba's forgotten his identity. He's forgotten who he is. And and he's run off and and Timon the meerkat and uh, Pumbaa the warthog are schooling him in another way of life, right? Hakuna Matata. No worries, no responsibility, no work. Just take life easy, not expecting too much from life. Just going with the flow. And it's attractive to Simba. After all, he's forgotten who he is, so why not? Until Nala comes and she finds him. Nala is his childhood friend. She's now a full-grown lioness. And, and Nala helps Simba to remember his identity and to, to realize that the pride land needs him. 
They need the protection of the king of the jungle. They need his leadership. And he's the prince. He's the heir to the throne. And so remembering his identity and living out of that identity for Simba changes everything. And isn't that so much like our experience that that often we forget who we are? We forget that we're adopted royal sons and daughters, princes and princesses, destined to inherit the creation, and even now called to take responsibility to further God's kingdom, to represent God's kingdom, and to spread God's kingdom. But we get distracted by Akuna Matata, <laughs> distracted by checking Facebook and Instagram, or buying something we don't need on Amazon, or playing Halo or Candy Crush, or finding ourselves on a porn site late at night. You know, am I the only one who who doesn't pray so much and doesn't think about God so much since I got an iPhone? <laughs> I'm just going to check email which I checked five minutes ago. I'm just going to check the news. I'm just going to check the highlights from last night's game. And then before I know it, an hour's passed or two or three. And I realize, wow, I haven't spent any time with God today. It's Hakuna Matata, God's own royal children, God's princes and princesses distracted and frittering away our lives when the world desperately needs us. Needs us to be world shapers needs us to be people of influence and impact for Christ. Have you forgotten who you are? Do you know your identity? If we're going to be transformed, if we're going to be equipped and fitted and prepared for our calling, for who we need to be, it begins by remembering and realizing who we are. It begins with our identity. And and this book tells us who we are. Just like Paul says, the Holy Spirit tells us too. And so as we read this book, two great questions to ask ourselves as we study the Bible. Number one, what does this passage tell me about who God is? And two, what does this passage tell me about who I am and what my purpose is? Because the world is, is trying to tell you who you are all the time. And, and guess what their message is? You're not good enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not comfortable enough. You're not secure enough. You don't measure up. So buy our product or buy our service and then it will be better. Right? (laughs) Well, those are all lies. That's not who you are. You are a dearly loved son or daughter of a good, good father in heaven. And you have a purpose in the Father's family. And you have a purpose in the Father's mission to the world. So let's take time to focus on and let's take time to remember our identity. Let's pray. And as we pray, if you've been going around the triangle backwards, like John described and like I've done myself way too many times, I want to invite you right now to just silently, you can say that to God. You can say, God, I've been trying to earn my identity. And um, I'm powerless. I quit. I give up. I want to receive 
through Jesus Christ. I want to receive a new identity as your loved sons and daughters. You can say that to God right now. And God, um, we need your spirit as you promise here in Romans 8. We need your spirit like John experienced um, that day in that AA meeting. Like Anne described experiencing as the Holy Spirit nudged her and said, hey, you're supposed to love your enemies, even though they've done you wrong, even though our human nature wants to be mad. Um, and we all we know that experience of you nudging us, and we need you to remind us day after day who we are. Thank you that you're faithful to do that, to remind your children of who we are. God, burn that into our hearts. Shift our hearts, change our hearts so that we can be transformed. Amen.